I consider it a great uh, privilege to introduce to you uh, our guest speaker for today. Trevor and Linda have taken a few days off, and uh, we have Nathan Ammons with us. He's going to be bringing God's word in a minute or two. Uh, Nathan is uh, the pastor of Transformation City Church. It's one of our uh, sister churches. Um, I first met Nathan, I think it was 2016. I can't remember the exact year. But uh, I met him because I interviewed him for the book, which still hasn't come out yet. But uh, I want to tell you a little story that Nathan told me, which is in the book. Uh, Nathan's first time here in Vancouver, he's from Atlanta, was I think it was in 2009 when he, was, uh, when he came up here as, um, as a summer missionary for, uh, with uh, the Point Church at Simon Fraser University. Nathan told me back in, when he first arrived in Vancouver, um, got off the plane went through the airport, was going into the parkade, and immediately, immediately felt this spiritual oppression, this weight on him. And uh, it was this, the darkness over Vancouver, and he felt it right away. And one thing that has always impressed me about Nathan is that he um, has always, I mean, from that moment on, I think, has had a real love and a real passion for uh, winning the lost of Vancouver. And so as I say now, having come back a few years later, he and his wife Lindsay, uh, well, they originally were hoping to and planning to start a church in Olympic Village, Main Street area. But now they're down in Langara, around 49th and uh, Fraser. So... uh, I'll let, you, I'll let Nathan tell a bit more of his story, but uh, that's who we have with us today, and, uh, and I'm glad to have uh, Nathan speak to us. So, uh, Nathan, just come up here for a second. just want to pray for you as we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing this man to us. Thank you for bringing him to Vancouver. Thank you for his heart for this city and his heart for... Uh, for your people, and those, especially those who do not know you yet. And Lord, we just pray uh, your power to just work mightily in Nathan as he brings your word. Uh, Lord, uh, we desire to hear from you through, through your servant Nathan this day. So please bless him and, and empower him and strengthen him uh, in this hour. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks, you, thank you. You can speak from down there if you want. Hello, 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 hello. Hello, check, check. The Holy Spirit is now here. The Holy Spirit has arrived, City View. It's the preacher's favorite nightmare, figuring out the microphone. Oh, my goodness. Frank, thank you for uh, the introduction. Yeah, I... uh, been here, so I first arrived in 2010, and I remember that, remember that walking to the parkade. I had been a Christian for six months when I arrived here on a mission trip, <clears throat> and within five minutes of being here and being outside, I just felt 
this, this darkness that I had never experienced before. And uh, that, that brokenness that I began to feel connected to my love for the city that I fell in love with over the next week. And the intersection of those things really landed a, a call from God on my life to make disciples. And so, um, which is, funnily enough, what we're going to talk about this morning for a few minutes. Um, so it's great to be with you guys. I, uh, I love your pastor, uh, Trevor. He has really been an avid encourager of my wife, Lindsay, and I. My wife, Lindsay, is home, not feeling well. She's been breathing only out of her mouth for the past uh, few days, and so she is worn out and in bed. And so she's sorry she couldn't be here. But Trevor's been such an avid encourager of us since we've moved to the city. Um, he's one of the most jolly and joyful people that I know. Um, his laugh just puts me in a good mood. Like, his smile puts me in a good mood. I don't know if you guys can relate. And I think his British accent just makes it that much more better on top of it all. And so um, I love your pastor. You guys are blessed to have him. And so today you get to hear a different kind of accent from the southern United States. It is southern, not southern. So you know. Where I come from, it is southern. Um, I've lost a little bit of that accent, so I'm going to try and keep it away so it won't be a distraction to you as I talk, because it can be distracting, can't it? Yeah, we speak English here, right? <laughs> Side note, I was in, uh, this is not, uh, this is for free, I, today, or no, this was a few weeks ago, I was in the Langara College bookstore, and they have a, uh, a book in there that says How to Speak American. Uh, oh, this is great. So it turns out, obviously, Vancouver is such a film town. Um, you know, theater students, God bless them, they have to learn how to speak American. Because <laughs> apparently that's where a lot of the film jobs are, right? And we have to talk like Americans. It's such an interesting thing. I actually hate it for you guys. Um, Trevor's kind of, he, you know, he asked me to speak a few weeks ago, and he told me that uh, you guys were starting the new year talking about some spiritual disciplines, talking about how do we grow as followers of Jesus, right? Um, I, I've grown to, to like calling them spiritual habits. Spiritual habits, I think, is a nicer term than disciplines. Disciplines, um, that, that just doesn't sound any fun, right? <laughs> spiritual habits, and what I wanted to do today was, um, I, and I think what I'm going to talk about today is going to encompass those things in it, but I kind of wanted to take more of a, a 30,000 foot view into this idea of following Jesus. And uh, if I can be honest, following Jesus in Vancouver is hard. I mean, can you guys, can you guys relate to that? Can you agree with me? If you don't agree with me, then I need to stop what I'm doing where I live, and I need to come join your church. <laughs> if it is easy for all of you, I'm not easy, piece of cake. Wow, we're following Jesus, making disciples, it's a breeze. No, it's hard. Following Jesus in the city of Vancouver is hard, isn't it? Um, you know what's interesting in this, in this culture of, of following, following, it's, a, it's an interesting word now, isn't it, since the 2004, 2005 time frame. Um, when I was in high school uh, in the Atlanta area, fa- this thing called Facebook came about. 
And uh, it was only at that time for university students. I don't know if you remember, when Facebook first came out, it was actually only for college and university students. And then a few years in, they thought, oh, we need to open this up to other people. And so now it's mom, dad, grade six, and everyone, and the internet has erupted because everyone is now on Facebook. And this idea of following is so interesting. Because uh, you have Facebook, you have Twitter, you have Snapchat, you have Instagram, you have all these things. And I'm a millennial, so it's like I'm supposed to be a professional at all of these. Um, but I, I've ditched a few of them along the way. I started out with, you know, I had MySpace. Anybody? Okay. I had MySpace, and I was so uh, fixated on how I was going to design my, my extremely cool page because you could add in all this HTML that was a new thing, and you can make it look all cool. I had a band at the time. I wanted to be a rock star, and so... I created this super cool page for my band. Then it went to Facebook. Then we had Twitter, only 140 characters. You're following people on Twitter, then Instagram, Snapchat, and then there, there are more and more and more. Google Plus, which has now died, they just gave up. You know? <laughs> so, but following people is interesting because I realize I'm not super savvy with Facebook now because it's just so incredibly complicated. But I realized one day, and I don't remember how many years ago this was, on my Facebook page, I started seeing like the same 10 people. And it was like, you know, what, what did I see? I saw political posts. I saw dog videos. I saw traveling selfies. And I saw food. Which, that's like basically everyone's Facebook page. But I noticed I was seeing the same 10 people or so, and I thought, this is really weird. And I, and, I, and I went through, and I noticed that on my page at the top, when I would click on someone else's page, it would say, You're, I'm following them. And I don't know if you guys, maybe some of you are like, oh, wow, I realized that, too. I didn't realize that, but now that you're saying that, it makes sense. You can, you can not just choose to be someone's friend, you can actually choose to then follow them. So you can be their friend and not follow them, or you can be their friend and follow them. So it's like within Facebook, we've created another Facebook. So like you can be friends with everyone, but now you can just follow these people. It's like, oh, it's so fascinating. So then I can go through and start picking who it is that I want to follow. And then from there, I can even actually pick of those people's posts. Like as, as, so as I go to my homepage or my wall, I can go through and start deleting posts that I don't want to, to show up from those people. So I don't want to see that. He's talking about his his dad passed away and it's a super depressing, sad video delete. I don't want to look at that. This guy's just doing another thing talking about Donald Trump. I don't want to hear about that. I'm going to... My Canadian friends (laughs) might do that more than some of my American friends, which is a whole other talk for another day. But so now I can go through and pick who I'm going to follow and I'm going to pick what it is about them that I want to see. How interesting is it that we oftentimes do that to Jesus? How interesting is it that Jesus calls us to follow him? And yet at times, we choose what we want to follow about Jesus. We choose what we want to obey. And we choose to not obey certain things. So, ah, we'll kind of skip over that passage. That's a tough one. I don't really want to explain that to my friend. We'll skip over that a lot of times we like to agree with Jesus, don't we? We're really good at agreeing with Jesus. But we often struggle to obey Jesus. 
And today I want to talk to us, I want to bring us to an incredible passage, that, um, a passage that is, is special to me. I really want to talk to you out of the overflow of just some principles that I feel like the Holy Spirit's been revealing to me nine years into my walk with Jesus now. Um, and I hope that as we kind of fly through some of these things that, that the Holy Spirit would, would bring out some, some truths for you um, and maybe really call out some things he wants you to start working on. But um, if, you, if you have a Bible, and I hope, I hope that you do, would you, would you scroll or flip to uh, Matthew 28? And we're going to start at the very end of the story in Matthew's account. But I want to talk for a few minutes about following Jesus in the sense that when we look at Jesus calling people to follow him, we see that there's a simultaneous call for those followers of Jesus to make disciples. When we see Jesus calling people to himself, we also see him calling them to go and make disciples. All right? So to give us a little bit of uh, context as we jump into, like I said, the very end of the book, uh, this, this narrative that this guy named Matthew is writing, which most scholars believe is Matthew, formerly known as Levi, the tax collector and follower of Jesus, one of the 12 and then 11. And so what's happened is Matthew has done this incredible job of, uh, he's probably writing to a Jewish audience, and so he's using a lot of Old Testament scripture, in fact, more New Testament scripture than any other of the gospel accounts because he's trying to prove something, he's trying to show us, look, Jesus has fulfilled the messianic prophecies. He has come into the world. He was born of a virgin. He has died on a cross. Now he has risen from the dead. And he's taking his rightful place as king. And so where we jump in is Jesus has been crucified. His, his followers have gone AWOL. They're, they're gone. We cannot find them. We know that John showed up at the cross, but all of the other guys are gone. Jerusalem is in chaos because three days later, all of a sudden, Jesus' body is missing. The Pharisees and the religious leaders are freaking out, telling the soldiers, hey, well, let's, let's, we're going to give you some money. Don't tell anyone this happened. Let's spread this story instead of this story. And now Jesus has appeared to a few women. And he has told them, go, find my disciples, tell them to meet me in Galilee. Tell them to meet me where it all started, in Galilee, where he first called them. And so the women rush off to the disciples. They tell them all, hey, Jesus wants to meet you in Galilee, and this is where we jump in. So Matthew 28, and we're going to start in verse 16. So it says, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
There's perhaps no single passage in all of Scripture that has mobilized and inspired more missionaries to go to the, to the far reaches of the planet with the gospel of Jesus. This in my own life has been such an inspiring passage for Lindsay and I as we were praying and thinking through moving here in 2016. What I want to show us today is that responding to Jesus' lordship, if we could put it all into a sentence, responding to Jesus' lordship means representing his kingdom. Responding to Jesus' lordship means that we are to be representing his kingdom. So the first thing, if you were to write something down or jot down a note, I would say following Jesus means responding to his lordship. Verse 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now that in and of itself is a mind-shattering statement. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is no longer the homeless rabbi sleeping in random people's houses. He's no longer a man of sorrows who's well acquainted with grief. He's no longer being being mocked and spit on or whipped and beaten. But now the Father has given him authority to rule and reign over a kingdom that he has rightfully taken. He has supreme authority throughout the universe. What does that even look like? I'm trying to figure out taking care of my own house. I moved into three months ago. Jesus has got control of the universe? The king is now standing before his subjects and declaring his rule and his dominion. And the disciples, who spent much of their energy over the last three years talking about who was going to sit at Jesus' right and his left hand, they've come up to Jesus and said, or they're not saying anything, they're dumbfounded. Verse 16 and 17 says, some worshipped and some doubted. I mean, I can just imagine that crowd of people just like, He's alive. Jesus has declared his lordship. I think in this moment the disciples were beginning to realize that being a part of submitting to Jesus' lordship meant dying to self. Jesus called his disciples to a new way of life that began with leaving their old life behind immediately. The pathway to resurrection life is death, isn't it? Jesus shows us that. If you've got your Bibles, flip back in the same book of Matthew to chapter 4. This is where it all begins. Matthew 4, verse 17. So Jesus comes on the scene. John the Baptist is arrested. He comes out of the, the wilderness. He's being tempted by the devil. It's interesting that he's being tempted by the devil to establish his own rule and reign over, over the earth, but on the devil's terms. And what does Jesus say? This isn't the way to do it. Right now I'm submitting to the will of my Father. I'm dying to the reality that, yeah, I could take over the entire earth right now the way I want to. But actually, I have to go the way of death. Verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom, of ha- the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
And then verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them immediately. They left their boat and their father and followed him. Surrendering to the lordship of Jesus is complicated and hard, isn't it? How many of you feel like your life got more complicated when you started following Jesus? Anyone? Life gets more complicated as we decide to follow Jesus, doesn't it? And there's a reason for that. Because we have an old nature that Paul describes as the flesh. And that nature is now at war with the spirit. So now we have two natures at work. And yes, we know that one is supreme to the other. But as children of God, we now have a choice. We can choose between being what Paul would say is a slave to righteousness or a slave to sin. It's hard following Jesus because... We have to submit our authority, our desires, and our wants to a higher authority. You know, it's funny. Um, I can think of two words that um, are probably, they might be the most unpopular two words in all of the city of Vancouver. And they're going to be authority and commitment. Those aren't really popular words in the conversations that I have with people. Submitting to authority and committing to a person or um, any type of relationship whatsoever. There is no uh, desire for commitment to anything. Isn't that interesting? See, people move to Vancouver to get away from those things. At least the people my age and a little bit younger, they, we, we move to Vancouver because we want to start a new business. We want to... Uh, Go to university slash get away from parents and family. We want to ski the mountains. We want to buy expensive food. We want to drink craft beer. We want to, if we're not skiing the mountain, depending on the season, we're going to be lounging at the beach. That's why we move here. We move here to, to take from the city, to enjoy the things that the city offers us, right? We don't move here to submit to authority, and we don't move here for commitment. We left all those things behind wherever we came from. And yet Jesus is looking at us and saying, if you want to follow me, it begins with recognizing that my lordship is more important than yours. In fact, my lordship is going to lead you to life. Becoming a slave to righteousness means becoming free from sin. So he looks at these guys and he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their stuff and followed Jesus. They had a whole lot of baggage to work out along the way that they were still working out into the book of Acts. But the immediate response to Jesus' lordship in that moment was a call to follow him. And they submitted. What's so cool about this whole idea of lordship is that Jesus models it for us. We can go through countless 
conversations with Jesus in the book of John, earlier in the book of Matthew, in Matthew 26, where we see Jesus submitting what? His will to the Father's will. I haven't come to do my will. I've come to do the will of my Father. Yet, when we get to Matthew 28, he says, now I've got the authority. and You guys are going to do what I say, just like I did what my daddy said. Point number two, following Jesus means representing his kingdom. We represent his kingdom when we respond to his lordship. Verse 19 in Matthew 28, as you go back there. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So what's interesting here is Jesus tells them that he has all authority, but he doesn't begin to tell him how he's going to begin exercising that authority. He tells them, therefore, you go. So he doesn't spend time elaborating on his power. He's more concerned about them going and bearing his image across the earth. You go and do what I have been doing with you for the last three years. I want you to go and do that across the earth. In both Matthew 4 and Matthew 28, Jesus shows us the direct, the direct result of following him is more people entering his kingdom. Matthew 4, follow me and what? I will make you fishers of men. Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me, therefore go. The result of following Jesus is more people coming into the kingdom. How? Through us. Now we all know this. I know I'm not saying a whole lot of new things. We know that. But are we living into that in our sphere of influence? What's interesting is, so the act of making disciples doesn't mean make them become disciples. Like, I'm going to make you become a disciple, right? That's not what he's saying. We know that. Go and make disciples. But the nuance in the wording is for them to go convince people to follow Jesus. I want you to go convince other people to submit to my lordship. I want you to go convince others that the life that I provide is a much better life of freedom and relationship <clears throat> with me. So he tells them to go, tells them to make disciples. Well, how do we do that? Did you guys know that, that there's a passage in the Bible where Jesus tells us how to make disciples? It's this one. Go and make disciples. Well, how? Well, look at the next, the next part. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's the first step. We baptize them. So baptism was a Jewish cleansing of the body, right? We know John the Baptist came and said, now I baptize you for the repentance of sin. And then Paul, in Romans 6, gives us an even fuller picture of baptism. What does baptism again represent? Death. Into new life. So, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to call, you're going to convince them to follow me. 
you're going to share the story of me, and then you're going to baptize them, which means, what is that? That's a response to lordship. They need to identify with my kingdom and with my lordship and not their own. So that's our first step. We're going to baptize. We represent the kingdom by calling others to come and die to their kingdom of self and experience the kingdom of God through Jesus. Man, this is even a war in my own life right now. Kingdom of self versus the kingdom of God. It is the battle of a lifetime. All right. So he wants us to baptize them. He wants us to identify them as his people. That's what he wants us to do, right? The act of baptism is dying to self and saying, hey, I'm with Jesus. And I'm following him in obedience to be baptized. So Jesus is wanting us to go throughout the earth. He's established his authority. He wants us to go throughout the earth, call people to himself, and baptize them, identify them with his kingdom so that they might multiply his image across the earth. What does this sound like? Let's go back to Genesis 1. If you have a Bible, it's the first book. Genesis 1. God's created the heavens and the earth. He's created man to care for the earth. He's created both man and woman. But it's interesting what he says about the man and woman, what he says about mankind. In verses 26 through 28, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them this, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God's purpose in creating man was for love, was for relationship with him. But it was also, what? To be fruitful and multiply. To multiply what? His image. We have been created in the image of God to represent the king. From the beginning. Out of love, God entered into relationship with with us, gave us purpose But in the garden, we looked at God and decided that we didn't want to multiply his image, did we? We wanted to multiply our own. We wanted to become our own God. That's what we did. And our need to be our own God separated us from him and the full ability to bear his image. So God began to work a plan that would prepare the way for his son to come. To be what? The perfect image bearer. Paul says in Romans 5 that Jesus was the new Adam. He was the perfect Adam, the better Adam. So Jesus comes to multiply God's image across the earth perfectly. And then he dies in our place, is raised from the dead, and calls us to now go and do what God commanded us to do from the beginning. He has reinstated the creation mandate. I think Matthew realizes this. 
when he comes to the end of his narrative about King Jesus. I think he understands the implications for Jesus' lordship, and he's now sending out people in power to multiply his image across the earth. And that's the beauty of one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, you don't have to turn there, where Paul is talking about we have been made a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. And then he goes on to tell us that we're ambassadors. We are ambassadors for the king. So, I want to move on to point three, but I want to ask, who, who are we representing the king to? Who are the people in our life that we are representing the king to? And that's through words and actions. There is no gospel without words, because it's news. But it's also shown. Who in our lives are we representing the king to? If, uh, if Justin Trudeau leaves Canada, does he ever cease to, or he maybe takes a week off, is, does he cease to, to be the ambassador for Canada? No. He can get himself in a lot of trouble. Because he's always representing his people, right? So are we always on duty representing our king. All right. Number three, following Jesus, we're almost done. Following Jesus means reorienting our loves. So how do we make disciples? We're going to baptize them. And then what does Jesus say in verse 19, or excuse me, verse 20? And we're going to teach them to observe all that I have commanded. Does it say we're going to teach them all the information so we have a good knowledge and understanding of doctrine and theology? Does he say that we're going to disciple people's brains so that they have good information for great Bible studies? No, those are all good things. But he says teach them to what? Teach them to observe. Now, when I think of the word observe, at first glance, it's like, okay, let's go out to Victoria. We're going to get on a boat. And we're going to go whale watching. Right? We're, going to, we're just going to go observe whales. No, the word here is not that kind of observe, is it? The word literally means keep. Keep the commandments. Oh, Nathan, this is sounding really like, like a lot of work. You're kind of just like, beating us over the head. This sounds kind of legalistic. For now, maybe. But it's what Jesus said. Jesus says, I want you to baptize them into my family. They have a new image to bear. And then I want you to teach them to obey me. I want you to tell them and show them how to live. Right? If we go back to Matthew 23, I'll flip there. Jesus is talking with a, with a crowd. So he's speaking to a crowd, so it's mixed company. He's got some religious leaders present. And uh, this is where he begins to describe these seven woes to the Pharisees. And he looks at the Pharisees at the beginning of this, and he says, So then Jesus says to the crowds, for, uh, chapter 23, verses, verse 1, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So, do and observe, same word, exact same word. Observe whatever they tell you. But, 
don't do the works they do. For they preach, but they don't practice. Same word. Observe what they tell you, but don't do what they practice. Matthew 28. Observe what I've taught you and what I've commanded you, because I've shown it to you as well. So he invites us to a new life of reorienting our loves. Now, I love to reorient our loves. There's a guy named James K.A. Smith. Um, He can be really complicated, but there's a book called You Are What You Love that's incredibly fascinating. Um, I would encourage you to read it if you like to read. But the idea behind, and this is why I talk about spiritual habits, Jesus is calling us to begin reorienting all of life around a new kingdom. We've developed some habits in the old kingdom of self that aren't good. And I'm not just talking about drinking a little too much, not taking care of our bodies well. I'm talking about the way we think and process the world manifests in how we live our life and what we do. And Jesus is saying, I've given you now a new nature. Now I want you to begin shifting your habits of life into operating into a new kingdom. Because what did Jesus do? He invited these guys to come along and he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And he began to live a different life in front of them. That's what he did. He showed them how to live. The call to follow Jesus is a call to represent his kingdom. And the way we do that is by reorienting our loves. We learn to obey what Jesus says. And then we bring others along. We bring others along to see it. Okay, this is a lovely quote from James K. Smith from his book, You Are What You Love. He says, what if you are defined not by what you know, but by what you desire? What if the center and seat of the human person is found not in the heady regions of the intellect, but in the gut level regions of the heart? The heart motivates what we do. We think discipleship has become about changing our brain. And we go to Romans 12 and say we're renewing our mind. But the renewing of the mind leads to a spiritual act of worship, which means offering your bodies, which means doing things differently. So Jesus says, go and teach them how to live differently. We like relationship with Jesus. We like the new creation part. But a lot of us kind of, we're kind of halfway in on the whole, I'm going to do things differently. That's too legalistic. Jesus loves me. It's about grace. Yeah, but grace leads us to places of acting and thinking differently, doesn't it? All right. Our problem with obedience is it changes, it challenges our autonomy because we still like being the boss, even though we're Christians. We still kind of like being the boss. So when some people I talk about, well, we're trying to do obedience-based discipleship, some people just kind of cringe like, oh, sounds terrible. The reason, um, so we we were a part of starting three, we've started, in the three years we've lived here, we've started three churches. That sounds pretty successful at first. But none of those churches exist anymore. Why? Maybe some things we could have done better, differently. But I also think that, um, When push came to shove, there came a point where we invited people to start living differently. And they didn't like that. When it came down to it, they really didn't want to follow Jesus. And was that a result of they needed to try harder? Oh, it was probably 
had to do of a reorder, reordering, reorienting of some loves in their heart. And so one by one, they slowly began to walk away. And that was really hard. Have you guys uh, heard of the, it's called Free Solo? Did you guys see anyone see the documentary on Alex Honnold? Does anyone here like to climb? No? That's okay. That's okay. I tried it. Um, I do enjoy it. But um, I went to see uh, last Monday at the Rio this, this documentary called Free Solo. If you don't like rock climbing, you should still watch it. It's probably the best documentary I've ever seen. It's about this guy named Alex Honnold. Does anyone know who Alex Honnold is? Okay, a couple of people. Alex Honnold um, is a freak when it comes to climbing, okay? Um, this documentary is about him and uh, his determination to climb the side of El Capitan. Does anyone know, everyone know what El Capitan is? It's one of the largest rock faces in the world, 3,200 feet, and he's going to climb, it's in Yosemite, and he's going to climb it without any ropes. So just him, his chalk bag, and his shoes for climbing, no water, no nothing, and he's going to go climb it. Now, it would be one thing, it, it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. He's, it actually shows part of his amygdala is actually different, which helps him not really process fear very well, <laughs> which makes a lot of sense. So, but the thing is, he spent months, in fact, over years training for this, preparing for it. Now, it, it would be one thing if, if he would sit down and analyze the roots, he would talk to some other guys who have done it, and simply map out his route, write out what he was going to, like his steps he was going to do, um, and then just decide to one day, I'm going to go do it. Probably not going to work very well. But Alex Honnold spent over a year charting it out, climbing it with ropes, climbing it with other people who had climbed it with ropes, and mapping out every move, writing down what, what needed to change, writing down when he needed to start, when he, you know, what time in the morning he needed to be at the base of El Cap climbing the mountain. He had to reorient his entire body. He had to change habits. He had to change pl- footholds, places how he was going to attack the, 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 the rock in order that he might live. And there's tension with the guys who were, who were shooting this. Like, they signed up to potentially film a man falling to his death. That's what they've signed up for. The costs are high. And he would be a fool to think that if he just sat down and kind of worked it through in his brain, that he would be able to come out alive on the other side. And I think for us, we've got to really begin thinking through, yes, we have a new heart because we've trusted in Jesus. But we've got to like start mapping out life differently. We've got to think, we're on a totally different trajectory now than what we were on. And we've got to start thinking through what are the, what are the actions, what are the, the commands of Jesus that are going to actually lead us to life as we habitualize our bodies towards the kingdom of God instead of the kingdom of self. Last thing, and this is short. Following Jesus means relationship. 
after all that, that could leave some of us really stressed out. I don't realize that. That's why the the last line of the Great Commission is the last line. Or the best line. Did I say that right? The best line of the Great Commission is the last line. Behold, I'm with you always till the end of the age. This is what makes the Great Commission so incredible. The King of the universe has given us direct access to him. Not, we're not doing the journey of following Jesus and making disciples on our own. Jesus has committed his very presence to be with us from the beginning to the end. To the end of the age, meaning forever. Following Jesus can only be done in the power of the Holy Spirit and only in the power of realizing that Jesus can do it through us. And that's the only way. So yes, submit to his lordship. Yes, represent him as king. Yes, reorient your loves. Obey the commands of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit which comes through relationship with Jesus. Smith says later on in his book, to be truly and fully human, we need to find ourselves in relationship to the one who made us and for whom we are made. The gospel is the way we learn to be human. We're not working for God. I actually used to say that a lot. And I had that mindset of I'm working for God. We aren't working for God and we aren't obeying Jesus for the sake of his love and approval. We're making disciples with Jesus. And learning to obey with Jesus. So when we say yes to Jesus, we we say yes to his lordship. And we say yes to representing him in his kingdom. In every sphere of life. And I know we've all got reasons for not making disciples too busy. We don't know a lot. We don't know what to do. I get it. And maybe we are busy. Maybe you can't get less busy. Maybe you can. Maybe you can't get less busy. So maybe you don't need to go anywhere differently. You don't need to change up your schedule. Maybe you just need to start representing the king where you are. Maybe you need to start making disciples as you go. I don't know a lot. Well, you know enough. If you've been here for two weeks, you know enough. Jesus says that it's actually a good thing that you don't know that much. Because he cares more about what you're doing rather than what you know. If we're honest, most of our issues have to do with living into the kingdom of self. Pride and selfishness. Yet Jesus is calling us to let people into our broken, messy lives so that he can shine his power through us. Of course you're not ready. You'll never be ready. I was never ready to plan a church. I'm still not. 
not ready to be a pastor. That's good. Because I can trust in Jesus all the more. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have committed to doing life with us. Lord, we, uh, we just confess that following you is hard. We confess that obeying you is hard. And yet, Lord, we, uh, if we're honest with ourselves, the reason it's usually hard is because we're at, we're at war with your spirit within us. We struggle with your lordship, Jesus, even though in the depths of our very soul we want to please you. We get distracted. We get busy. We feel distant from you because we haven't read our Bible or we haven't prayed three times a day or we haven't engaged in some of these spiritual habits and we feel like a failure. We feel ashamed. And that's when we can look back at the cross and say, you know what? I've defeated that, Jesus says. I've already felt all your shame. And I've already felt your guilt. I've taken that weight and I've put it on my shoulders and I've put it to death. So that you can begin putting things to death in your life to experience more freedom in Jesus. Maybe some of you guys need to surrender to Jesus' lordship today. Maybe some of you realize you've been following a false Jesus. Maybe the Jesus you've been following hasn't really been a lord. He's kind of been a bro or a friend or a homie. Would you surrender to Jesus' lordship? Maybe some of you need to be more intentional with representing Jesus as your king in the everyday life. That means sharing the gospel and, and showing it. Who are the people that, that the Spirit is leading you to to begin representing the King? Some of us need to be reorienting our loves more intentionally. Some of us need to become, as Paul says in Romans 6, slaves of righteousness. Because we can become obedient from the heart to the things of God. It all begins in the heart. But you can empower us, Holy Spirit, to be obedient. And when we fall down, you pick us back up. And some of you need to be reminded that Jesus is with you. And he's not going to forsake you. And when following him gets hard, he calls you to come to give him your burden to let him carry it. So Jesus, we thank you today that we can worship and celebrate your lordship. And we can come and celebrate a day that we're longing for where you will come and eradicate all of sin and pain, death, cancer, deceit, addiction. You're going to come eradicate it all. And we'll be with you forever. And we thank you for that. We long for that. We hope for that. And that's 
the reason that we toil and we strive to follow you and to lead others to follow you because that's every one of our calls. So help us, Lord Jesus, help us. Amen. Trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet would ever wander, and my faith would be made stronger. In the presence of my Savior Spirit lead me where my trust is without borders Let me walk upon the waters Wherever you would call me Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander that my faith would be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. You call me out upon the waters, the great